Uh, so, all right. So this is, uh, so I interviewed Estee Chandler. Estee Chandler is the founder of Jewish Voice for Peace in Los Angeles. So there was a protest in front of the Israeli consulate on Tuesday, which is where I was able to interview her, um, obviously related to what's happening in Palestine right now. Um, so Estee has an interesting story. Her family's originally from uh, the Ukraine. They migrated to Israel and she uh, was born here in the United States. Uh, but she found a Jewish voice for peace because she thought there was a real need for uh, the left left side Jewish community to have um, an, an action group that they could be a part of to participate in protests and do other actions, writing senators, writing congressmen, et cetera, um, about what their perspectives were, because they felt that was really missed, um, not only in mainstream media, but also within the activist community. At the time, most of the activist community groups were um, Palestinian-based, which is fine, but she wanted to create one, I think, that um, with, with some other folks, obviously, that was mainly um, Jewish friends and their Jewish folks and their allies is how they would term it. I think there's some members now that are uh, not Jewish. So when, she, when I saw her at the protest on Tuesday, I really wanted to have a conversation with her interviewer because I think it's really important for Americans to understand what led us to this place? We didn't get here overnight. And the unfortunate reality is this is an issue that hasn't been addressed uh, by any means in, in American media. It just never has been. A lot of people don't understand the roots of this or they understand or they think they understand something because they've been told things that are just, you know, not true or what I what what is what Israelis would call hospira, which is the word that means propaganda. So uh, propaganda for the state of Israel, Hasbara is what it's called. So anyway, I, I wanted to uh, you know, share this with you folks. Uh, one of the first question I asked her was whether I, she thought Trump moving, whether I, she thought that moving, Trump moving the embassy, sorry, I couldn't get that out, uh, mm -hmm. to Israel was sort of a step in the direction that we're headed to now. And the reason I asked this question is, uh, so the al Mosque, is the same location as the Temple Mount, is the same location as uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So this is an area that is uh, holy to all of the Judaic religions, not just Muslims, right? And for this reason, this area has been under custodial, uh, is, is a custodial property, so to speak, of Jordan. So Jordan sort of mines this area because they're the neutral party kind of a thing, right? Uh, but you know, the United States decided under Trump to move our embassy there. I think this was a very, really wrong thing to do, very bad thing to do. I do think it is an aggressive move for the obvious reasons. Um, so anyway, we'll start with uh, her responding to that answer. Nakba means catastrophe in Arabic. It is what befell Palestinian civilization when Israel when the Israeli, they weren't Israelis, they were Jewish militias gathered to uh, displace the people and drive them out against international law. And so um, it, to further Israel, the state of Israel's intention, once they unilaterally called themselves a state, they decided that they needed to settle the rest of the land that wasn't taken in 48. That's Gaza, that's the Golan Heights, that's the West Bank, that's East Jerusalem. And so the idea of building these settlements, if you look at them, they look very much like the Bantustans that South Africa used 
for the same purpose, to, to push people into little pockets, to make them separate so that they couldn't build power. And that was the intention of the settlement. So when they talk about the two-state solution being dead, it's important to realize that the entity that killed a two-state solution is Israel. So the only, the only answer available now is actually, you know, not a new idea. It's a very old idea. And it's, I'll give you, it's a radical idea. It's called democracy. Are there people who get confused between Judaism and Zionism? I thought she was talking about the Ergon and Haganah. So 1948, which, so the word Nakba, and I feel like I need to mention this now, Saturday is the anniversary of the Nakba from 1948. But this word means catastrophe. Um, and it's basically when they came in and they cleared the land for the Jewish settlers. This was the original uh, settlements, right, back in 1948. So, yeah, so they were they were terrorists. They self-identify as this. And I don't think people realize that this this wasn't a peaceful handover of land. This was um, created through acts of terrorism. That's just not up for debate. And I think uh, a lot of those folks that were displaced uh, have never been able to come back. These were family homes that had for some, in some cases, a couple generations in the family. So these, these were, Palestine was not a land without people. That's the bottom line. So that's what she's discussing there. And then when she talks about, uh, the, she's basically saying the two state solution has sailed. Anybody that is clear on the, the, the problems there would probably agree with that. The settlements are now in every part of the, they're not just in, in Israel proper, right? There's the West Bank, there's the Golan Heights, which is actually part of occupied Syria, um, Gaza, obviously. So the point being is that like, you can't retract all of these things. That was part of the program. That was the intention. So her, her idea is this, what she's arguing for is that it's time for Israel to basically grow up and become an actual democracy. And what that means is equal rights for everybody that lives there, period, no matter wh whether they're Jewish or not. And people should realize there's also a, a chunk of uh, Christian folks that live there. So it's not just uh, Jews and Muslims, right? So that's what she's discussing there. Judaism is a religion. Zionism is a political movement uh, that, that, that had a quest to create a state of Jews, by Jews, and for Jews only in the land of Palestine. The, 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 it, it never ceases to amaze me how the actions of the state of Israel that, that you know, religious, some religious Jews hold up uh, break Jewish law. You know, there's no rhyme or reason. In fact, now, it, it, as right-wing and racist as Prime Minister Netanyahu is, he's not the most right-wing. He's actually invited people from the Kahanist movement, from a, a movement that actually believes in not only driving out every Palestinian, they believe in, in, in killing them to do so. So if we're looking at the Israeli government for the answer, that's your answer. You're not going to find it there. So there was a party called Kosh. Uh, Kahana was this incredibly right-wing guy. He was an American uh, that moved to Israel. He started a party called Kosh. They actually argued for the genocide of the Palestinian people, actual genocide. For this reason, Israel banned the party from participating in uh, national discourse, national politics, could not uh, run uh, anyone for the Knesset, right? But now, flash forward, and this is really a big turning point. I think what she's pointing out here is important. So this last go around, um, because Israel is a parliamentary system, they have to form coalition governments. 
So apparently Netanyahu had invited the Kosh folks into his, uh, into his group in order to maintain power, which is a very deadly thing. The other thing that she mentioned is, is this conflation that happens uh, between Zionism and Judaism. They're not the same thing. Political Zionism exactly, is exactly that. It's a political movement. It has nothing to do with Judaism. It's uh, unfortunate that those things have become married, in my opinion, because it forms the basis for a lot of anti-Semitic arguments. And it also Teflon coats the government of Israel from being criticized, which I think is very dangerous. There is no such thing as a government that should be protected from criticism, period, end of story. That's just a very dangerous place to go to. But obviously, they intentionally sought that protection by intentionally conflating these things, these two things together. Um, and I think it also bears mention when she says that it, it's there. Some of these things are very, very diabolically opposed to, to Judaism. She's right. There's, in fact, there's a group of uh, religious Torah Jews that thinks that is very much against the state of Israel, and they they say it uh, publicly. You can find some interviews of these folks. I think probably on YouTube. But they think that, that that the state of Israel goes against, the creation of this goes against uh, teachings of the Torah. So again, you know, people need to keep in mind, um, political Zionism is to the benefit of, of multinational corporations, the military industrial complex. It's to the benefit of the American um, imperialist system. There, there's a reason that people try to marry this together. They use the Jewish people, I think, to, to mask some of the things that they want to do, and that's very unfortunate. I think it's also why you see um, a lot of times white supremacists, and in some cases Nazis like Richard Spencer, um, sort of being allied to the right wing in Israel because they both believe in ethnostates, and as long as Richard Spencer's saying Israel's okay, they're going to ignore the fact that he's anti-Semitic white supremacist, which I think is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. But we've seen this happen. So um, it's kind of a hot mess, if you ask me. But I, hopefully I'm hoping that explaining some of the things that um, Estee and I are discussing is helpful for Americans, because I know a lot of yeah. this stuff, does, it doesn't get explained. It doesn't get talked right. about, you know. You know, the, the, if, if a two-state solution was ever possible, then it was the Israelis that purposefully made sure it could never be possible. That is the whole point of putting settlers all over the West Bank. Because moving the embassy to Jerusalem, which was supposed to be something they were going to discuss in, you know, a negotiation of, you know, final status, um, was a huge provocation. And let's not forget that on the day when they did that, when they had that ceremony, there, the march to return in Gaza was going on. And they literally, Israeli snipers literally gunned down over 60 peaceful protesters, protesters like the ones you're seeing out here today, you know, there to say, you know, we were ethnically cleansed from this land and we should, by law, by international law, should be allowed to return. They just mowed them down as they're having this, this ceremony. Um, every, everything that the Trump administration did was a further escalation, was to take away rights, was to take away land, was they attempted to take away the label of, of refugees, you know, just to make it up. Because for some reason, for some people, the book that they don't believe in is called the dictionary. 
So, yeah, all right. So what she's talking about here is the expansion of the, the settler movement. So originally, after the, they had their original borders there, right, they kept expanding what they, and they're illegal under international law. But, you know, there's an argument to be made that at that point in time, they could have stopped with what they were doing and these people could have been coexisted and things would have been fine. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's one point of view. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, they expanded the settlements and the, the, the settlements are, are everywhere. And when I say settlements, let, let's be really clear on what's going on here. They are just taking the houses. So they come in there. And what's interesting is, is the fact now we have camera phones there on the ground on the West Bank. So whether you're in, uh, he, you know, uh, Hebron, Hafa, like all these areas, you can see this happening where they're invading the houses and they're kicking the Palestinians out and they're taking over the homes. So I don't think it's a big leap to ask people, like if somebody came into your house in the middle of the night, took your house away from you and told you you had to leave, what would you do? Would this be acceptable? So the answer, clear answer to that is no, of course it isn't. So I, it's, a, it's kind of insane to me that this is continuing to go on. And so what the, what the left wing here is arguing is that that needs to stop. It's time that we turned Israel into a full-blown democracy. And being in a democracy means everybody has equal protection under the law. And just to make something else clear to folks, uh, when they talk about apartheid, what they're actually, one of the things they're referring to is this legal thing that I'm discussing. If you are in the West Bank or Gaza, you do not have access to Israeli courts in the same way as you do as an Isra Israeli citizen. Oftentimes, most often you're tried under military law, which is a different thing, um, as, as you could imagine. So there are, there are absolute distinctions that are happening here. That's, I don't think that's controversial up to debate either. So here's part of what I was talking about. The original is in the Wall Street Journal, but uh, they, of course, have a crazy uh, wall that you can't break through. Um, out of the intercept, blowback. Oh, how, okay. How Israel went from helping create Hamas to bombing it. Hamas wants to destroy Israel, right? But as Mehdi Hassan shows in a new video on Blowback, um, which is a podcast, uh, but I don't know if they're referring to that. Probably not. Um, hmm. But as Mehdi Hassan shows in a new video on Blowback, Israeli officials admit they helped start the group. Interesting. What do you know about Hamas? That it's sworn to destroy Israel that it's a terrorist group prescribed both by the United States and the European Union, that it rules Gaza with an iron fist, that it's killed hundreds of innocent Israelis with rocket mortar and suicide attacks. But did you know that Hamas, which is an Arabic acronym for Islamic resistance movement, would probably not exist today were it not for the Jewish state? that the Israelis helped turn a bunch of fringe Palestinian Islamists in the late 1970s into one of the world's most notorious militant groups, that Hamas is blowback. This isn't a conspiracy theory. Listen to former Israeli officials, such as uh, Brigadier General Yitzhak Segev, who was the Israeli military governor in Gaza in the early 1980s. Segev later told a New York Times reporter that he had helped finance the Palestinian Islamist movement as a counterweight to the secularists and leftists of the Palestine Liberation Organization and the uh, Fatah Party, led by Yasser Arafat. Yeah, so that's what I was talking about. I didn't realize this, though, that this went back to the 70s. Interesting. 
who himself referred to Hamas as a creature of Israel. The Israeli yeah, Arafat, Arafat was actually a fairly reasonable guy. And even though he was painted by U.S. media as not being a fairly reasonable guy, he was, you know, painted as a terrorist whatsoever. But if you really look at the fact, I mean, he was really interested in, in creating a peace agreement that was permanent and real. I don't think, um, I think that's where we lost any idea that a two-state two solution was even remotely possible was, was that period of time. Yeah, this is uh, this is wild. This is fascinating. I did not know this. Yeah, the Israeli government gave me a budget. The retired brigadier general confessed, mm. and the military government gives to the mosques. Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation. Avner Cohen, a former Israeli religious affairs official who worked in Gaza for more than two decades, told the Wall Street Journal in 2009. Back in the mid 1980s. Cohen even wrote an official report to his superiors, warning them not to play divide and rule in the occupied territories by backing Palestinian Islamists against Palestinian sec uh, secularists. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I suggest focusing our efforts on finding ways to break up this monster before this reality jumps in our face, he wrote. So, uh, yeah. He didn't that's, listen to him. That's... <laughs> I actually, I'm going to have to go and listen to this episode of this podcast episode. That's fascinating. This is new information. Also, I wanted to point out Donnie in the chat made a, he sort of made a mention of how the United States has sort of pushed Israel to the right military industrial complex because it, it, it benefits empire. I don't disagree with that. I think, I think Israel has always been a tool for uh, empire, right? I don't know that when people, you know, speak on, say that how much they love the Jewish people and they protect Jewish people, I don't believe them. I think it's disingenuous. Um, I, I think that they have their own selfish interests and that it serves those self, selfish interests, which is why I think it's dangerous. Um, and I also think that I'm, I find it very disturbing that there's some rhetoric that's been out there this week um, in the media like, how can you be a leftist Jewish person and uh, not be fine with, you know, what Israel's doing in Palestine right now? If you're an American Jew, that's your home state. Um, that's really offensive. Home state? No, America. Americans are American. There's no dual loyalty. That's sort of playing into an anti-Semitic trope. I, but I, I've seen like two different reports this week where that was sort of insinuated. Yeah. And it's totally unacceptable. You don't understand that there's American left Jews that aren't fine with this because you want the entire, again, this monolithic thing. They want You want them to fit into this bucket of your beliefs and support your beliefs. And part of that supporting your beliefs is having this, what you're calling dual loyalty to a, another country, a foreign country. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy to me, but this is, this is sort of where the, the rhetoric goes off the rails, right? These are anti-Semitic people that, think they're not anti-Semitic because they're pro-Israel. So Bernie Sanders, the U.S. must stop being an apologist for the Netanyahu government. And I'm sure he touches on this, but Biden basically was apologizing for Israel, just saying that they, they have the right to defend themselves, which is just erases the entire issue. It it's yeah, it's a it's hospora I, i'm putting a new word in your in your dialect yes yes yeah it's a meaningless statement i mean come on really 
What does that mean precisely? Right. I, I, whenever I hear that, that's, that, is the, that is the line they've regurgitated now for 30 years. Yeah. Literally 30 years. And it, it doesn't mean anything. Yep. And here it is. Yeah, they put it right at the top. Israel has the right to defend itself. These are the words we hear from both the Democratic and Republican administrations whenever the government of Israel, with its enormous military power, responds to rocket attacks from Gaza. Let's be clear. No one is arguing that Israel or any government does not have the right to self-defense or to protect its people. So why are these words repeated year after year, war after war? And why is the question almost never asked? What are the rights of the Palestinian people? Mm -hmm. And why do we seem to take notice of the violence in Israel and Palestine only when rockets are falling on Israel? In this moment of crisis, yeah, that's a great question. Like. Obviously, though, there's wa there are water issues constantly in Gaza. There, are these uh, the open air prison is a constant in Gaza. So mm -hmm. that doesn't make the headlines. It it's only a headline when right. things escalate. And yeah, so that's a great yeah, point. The the question that the media should be asking is what are the causes of this escalation? Because this the the rockets falling on Israel doesn't happen in a bubble. It's a response to something. And the war is very much asymmetrical, let's be clear. Right. Yeah, there's, there is, um, you know, the Palestinians are not in power. Israel. No, they have zero, they're, an, they're occupied. They have zero, they're, yeah, in power, they have no power. They're not even a separate country with equal power. So this idea that they're going to war is ridiculous. It's not. Yeah. They're being attacked by their occupiers. Who are they going to war with? They're, they're literally being occupied. It's a ridiculous notion. You go to war with somebody that has sovereignty somewhere else, right? These folks have no sovereignty. They live under a military occupation, folks. Like, I mean, so this is what I'm talking about when I say Hospira. This is the way the conversation's framed to make it seem like it's something other than what it is. And it's, I don't know, it's quite bothersome that the, that folks don't see, the ones doing the framing, that they don't see how this is potentially quite harmful for the diaspora, right? Nobody wants to talk about that aspect. Yeah. All right, let's see what else the senator has to say here. Yes, I, yes. bravo for Bernie <laughs> for speaking up. Because, you know, very few politicians are willing to do this, although more so yeah. do so now, which is... Yeah, we have seen more speak up, uh, interestingly. Um, in this moment of crisis, the United States should be urging an immediate ceasefire. We should also understand that while Hamas firing rockets into Israeli communities is absolutely unacceptable, today's conflict did not begin with those rockets. Mm -hmm. Palestinian families in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah have been living under the threat of eviction for many years, navigating right. a legal system designed to facilitate their forced displacement. He's right. And over the past weeks, extremist settlers have intensified their efforts to evict them. With guns? And tragically, these evictions, those evictions are just one part of a broader system of political and economic oppression for years, we have seen a deepening Israeli occupation in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, 
and a continuing blockade on Gaza that make life increasingly intolerable for Palestinians. In Gaza, which has about 2 million inhabitants, 70% of young people are unemployed and have little hope for the future. Um, he goes on to, I'm not gonna read this. In, well, I guess it's pretty short. Um, we see, we have seen Benjamin Netanyahu's government work to marginalize and demonize Palestinian citizens of Israel, pursue settlement policies designed to foreclose the possibility of a two-state solution and pass laws that entrench systemic inequality between Jewish and Palestinian citizens of Israel. None of this excuses the attacks by Hamas, which were an attempt to exploit the unrest in Jerusalem. In his frantic effort to stay in power and avoid prosecution for corruption, Mr. Netanyahu has legitimized these forces, including Omar mm -hmm. Ben-Vir and his extremist Jewish power party by bringing them into the government. It is shocking yeah, okay. and sad. Go ahead. No, okay. He's actually pretty much repeating what I'm trying to explain here. That's exactly what Netanyahu did. So he brought in these incredibly far right parties, Jewish power party, home party, uh, Kosh, like these folks. And, and let me say without equivocation, the, there, there are members of these parties that have um, openly stated on social media that they are absolutely fine with genociding Palestinian people, that killing them is perfectly acceptable that they've tried. I even had read one tweet from a guy that I um, had to engage with because I couldn't believe he was saying this, that that they've tried everything else. What what other solutions are there, which is the most horrific thing I've ever heard. Um, and he was a reporter for uh, a hard right uh, Israeli magazine called Times of Israel. So uh, no, don't, yeah. I don't think they hear they, I don't think they hear themselves. And it's so painful. It's painful. It's really like that one in uh, Jerusalem Post is real, real hard to. It's hard. It's hard for me to stomach. It really is. Haaretz is the one. I like hearts. Yeah, they're more left um, leaning. Um, so when we get Ronnie on the show, Ronnie Barkin on the show, he will have some words for them, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. They seemed uh, more more fair, but I don't know. <laughs> no, they they absolutely are. They're they're absolutely they absolutely are more of a. Um, fair news organization. No dispute for me on that. <laughs> um, okay, so these dangerous trends are not unique to Israel. Around the world, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, and here in the United States, we have seen the rise of similar authoritarian nationalist movements. And that's something that I am having a really hard time with. Um. <sighs> So I think even people who have, you know, good, you know, hearts and minds and denounce um, nationalism in the United States uh, and, and see that it's bad and wrong and, and not good, somehow there's blindness when it comes to Israel. I agree um, with that. Yeah, and I don't. I agree I'm with that, not. and it's. I have to tell you, it's not helpful. Um, if anything, this is a society, in my opinion, that that needs help in this area. They are, um, you know, if you raise your children to believe all Arabs are evil snakes, I'm not. These are not my words. These are things that I've heard these folks say, from the time they were small. Like this, you can't grow up being constantly told these things. 
and have a healthy perspective about, I mean, you just, you just are going to naturally other the other person, right? It's a very, this is very unhealthy, but I think all decades of this coupled with military, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to serve in the military draft. There's another word. Oh yeah. Place. Yeah. They're required like every 18 year old. So, I mean, there's certainly an environment that's, that has been created there. I don't think that was intentional, but it's certainly the case. I, it certainly drives everything to the right wing, right? I, I don't think that's an, un, I don't think it's an intended consequences, but it's definitely an unintended consequence. Yeah. So. And then Bernie, Bernie gets a little bit hopeful here. Uh, at Yay. the same time, we are seeing the rise conscription. of conscription. Conscription, thank you. Conscription. Conscription, big word. <laughs> we are seeing this. we're seeing the rise of a new generation of activists who want to build societies based on human needs and political equality. We saw those these activists in American streets last summer in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. We see them in Israel. We see them in the Palestinian territories. Oh, and then Bernie says, with a new president, the United States now has the opportunity to develop a new approach to the world, one based on justice and democracy, which, um, no, Bernie, because you started out with the words that the new president said, <laughs> which do not line up with that. Exactly. But maybe maybe that's a sly jab. I'll give Bernie the benefit of the doubt there. But... I, I'm guessing that's a jab. He does like to jab like that. Let's be honest. <laughs> I can hear him saying that in his sort of like sarcastic way. Like, <laughs> come on, Biden. You you you're supposed to be this new president. You have an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to piss it away and say like hospital words like Israel has the right to defend itself, which just doesn't say anything? I mean, these words mean they're meaningless. They don't really talk about or solve the problems that are there. Right. In the Middle East, where we provide nearly $4 billion a year in aid to Israel, which by the way, all we would have to do to fix this, uh, as far as helping uh, Palestinians not be murdered and helping Palestinian children and women and like innocents not be murdered, would be to withhold this money and say, you're not getting this right. money if you don't stop murdering innocents. And they would be like, okay. Right. We'll I think aid, aid should have been attached to the non-expansion of illegal settlements a long time ago. That's, sh- I mean, I don't even know how that is a controversial statement and why that wasn't done. That should have been the case. I think um, because the big driver of the violence has been for, I'd say at least two decades, the expansion of the settlements. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. Seeing the expansion, the maps of the expansion is sh- very striking. Um, I should have pulled those up, but it's... And that was, again, intentional. It was by design. That was always the plan. So let, let me review for you what happened in, uh, with this. So uh, as, as you guys know, there's been a, there have been a lot of issues with Amazon. That, that's a big statement. A lot of issues with Amazon in a lot of areas for a very long time. Jeff Bezos is a maniac. And... <laughs> Um, that's, that's to put it like, <laughs> so he doesn't treat his workers. Well, Amazon doesn't treat their workers well, and the workers are starting to fight back and yeah. Amazon doesn't like it. So they do not like that. No, not at all. So folks like, um, Christian Smalls, who is fantastic. He stepped up during 
the early times of COVID. And, and he was saying, uh, you guys are not doing the right things. You're not keeping us safe. And I, he was a manager or supervisor of some sort. And he was pressing and uh, trying to get, you know, the, the powers that be to adhere to safe practices. And they just would not. And, and so he ended up being fired. And since then, he's become a real voice fighting for other Amazon workers. He is, was based out of the Staten Island, New York location. But when I was visiting Tina in LA, what was that October, or September or something? Uh, October, that was October. Yeah. So he was actually there. And we right. marched. It was cool. We were like, uh, well, the protesters were, were chanting, eat the rich down uh, Rodeo Drive, yeah. <laughs> which was uh, an interesting which was awesome. dynamic. Honest, awesome. <laughs> so he was at that. Um, and then we had all of our cell signals and every live view and dead right in front of Jeff Bezos' right, yeah. mansion in Beverly Hills. Interesting. So, uh, so that happened. So anyway, a, a lot of workers have been rising up. A lot of supporters have been rising up to help these workers unionize and get the conditions that they deserve. So one of the, or the spot that got the furthest with unionization has been Bessemer, Alabama. And Bessemer is a place where there are not a ton of jobs around. It's like a, just a pretty isolated area. And so Amazon means a lot to the people there as far as like having having a job um of course the people believe they they need to be treated well and so they people attempted to to unionize and amazon fought back in really disgusting ways yeah they really um are. it's it's not a surprise that a corporate uh, company, you know, a, a corporation would would push back and, and use like union busting tactics, although there are like laws that they're supposed to adhere to, etc. That doesn't seem to mean anything when you're Amazon. They did the, the typical thing, like they were changing um, traffic light, or they have the town change traffic light patterns so that um, those with signs couldn't effectively like get talk to people in their cars as they waited to turn into the um, right. the, the, the campus and they would, they were posting signs in the bathroom stalls yeah. and they did so much to try to convince workers to not join the union or to and not. And their ultimate the tool, union. Jen, their ultimate tool was threatening them with losing their jobs. Like you said earlier, this is an area that doesn't have a you can't just go around finding another job, right? So the ultimate weapon for them was threatening them with the loss of their job and saying, if you unionize, that will be the end of your job. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a huge threat and really scary for people. I think so. Especially I mean, right now. I think, I think it's an incredibly effective uh, tool to weaponize, if you can, for, for, for sure. an employer. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so they, they did a lot. And uh, thankfully... There, there's been a lot of good reporting that's come out of this. And yeah. one of the, the best is kind of a new, um, a new organization or new reporting, uh, wh whatever you would call it, a new media company called More Perfect Union. So yeah, they've been doing great coverage on this. 
Absolutely wonderful. So media that empowers working people, that's how we build a, a more perfect union. So their reporting is, is focused on labor and uh, just, just I'm really impressed with everything they do. So they've, they've focused on this, on what is happening in, in Bessemer. And so we reported uh, or um, emphasized their reporting. We, we kind of passed along their reporting, which was shocking at the time. Now it's even more shocking or uh, maybe not shocking if you expected this after all. But they had, Amazon had uh, coordinated this illegal but special deal with the USPS to install specialty ballot boxes for the union vote. And of course, that was very shady. And there were a slew of uh, ballots um, that came in at certain times all at once, which didn't seem right. Um, it's it just, there was a lot that wasn't right with these ballot boxes. So fast forward to now. <laughs> and so breaking as of a few hours ago, breaking, an Amazon worker just testified to the NLRB that he witnessed two Amazon security guards open and search the union ballot drop box after his overnight shift. They had it open for a minute or two. Seemed like they were searching it for something, Kevin Jackson said. So you're probably not surprised by this, but this is now uh, a, a, someone has testified to this with their name, which is huge. Right. And that person is taking a huge risk, like an enormous risk. That's that takes balls like kudos to that person, Kevin Jackson. Um, so these these two security guards allegedly opened and searched the union ballot drop box, which is obviously not OK. And Amazon installed the ballot drop box in Alabama in direct violation of NLRB orders. Jackson told the NLRB that he saw Amazon security carrying keys around the mailbox multiple times. I've seen the security go out several times, locking and unlocking it. Wow. Yeah. As more perfect union reported, emails subsequently showed that Amazon pressured the USPS to break its own rules to install right. the private ballot drop box. So that was reporting back in April. Yeah, and they had copies of the emails that they posted, so. Yeah, yeah, so those are, are the copies. So uh, today is day six of a series of NLRB hearings into accusations of illegal union busting by Amazon. We've documented several of the serious charges. They could result in the union election results at Amazon's Alabama warehouse being thrown out. Right, and, so there's uh, election. Yeah. So uh, as you're probably aware, the union, you know, Amazon won and people were very disappointed because they thought the Bessemer could be kind of the start of something like a chain reaction of good things to come for workers in this country. And Amazon won. And so now now that these shady things are being brought to light even more so, what will happen? Will it be enough to show that, that Amazon um, stacked the deck? Or will they, you know, be 
powerful enough to persevere no matter what. I'm thinking they're going to get they're going to get their second election. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think they'll probably get a second election only because of brave people like that Kevin. Yeah. Worker like that. Uh, if, if people and the weren't emails are very damning. Yeah, the emails are really damning. If, if these whistleblowers were not as as uh, brave as they have been, it wouldn't happen. And and that's right. the thing. These workers, Amazon has tried to intimidate them like crazy. They've tried to intimidate uh, Christian Smalls like crazy. They've uh, they've done a lot of really damning, horrible things that should put Amazon like out of business, which is impossible because they are, they rule everything from the internet to like, if Amazon's internet services go down, like everything goes down because everything runs on Amazon servers now. And like, they don't just sell us books and groceries. They sell us everything. Like they run everything. Maybe it's the case that if they do get the second vote, hopefully the people that did vote no that were tricked by the propaganda of Amazon, maybe they'll see. They'll see, oh my gosh, look what Amazon did. They lied. They messed with everything. So maybe these pro-union people were right. And Amazon, like they created these really glossy looking brochures. They created these websites trying to make it look like you're throwing your life in the toilet if you vote yes on this union and we're giving you utopia if you vote no. So maybe they'll, maybe the people who voted no will, will vote yes. Their website is now taken down now, right? Did anyone see it? It's on, um, it's on the archive, like the web. It was amazing. It's real. It's real, really something. Next, I want to, highlights again um marvin scott the third who we've covered here before marvin scott to kind of give you a, a quick refresher marvin scott the third was at so this took place in, in texas near dallas not exactly in dallas but near dallas and he was in um in an outdoor mall area and um, someone reported him as acting suspiciously, whatever. He was found with some weed. Who cares? And so the cops took him in. And because he was acting so-called weird or suspicious, they had him evaluated at the hospital. It did not matter to them that he was diagnosed with schizophrenic. They did not care about his needs or what that entails for mental health. So they took him to jail and in jail, uh, uh, things declined because for those who are not familiar, if, if someone is in that kind of mental state, there are certain triggers and, and stimulations that just send the person into an irretrievable um, meltdown of sorts. And <laughs> so he was um, strapped down, a spit hood was put on him. And he was really, really mistreated and mishandled and um, he ended up dead. It was ruled a homicide. And uh, there were seven jailers, correctional officers involved, um, ruled a homicide. And um, one went back. They didn't release the name of, of the one who, who went back. 
and none arrested at this point. So this man, uh, by all accounts, just a, a jolly, yeah, yeah, a, a jolly like nice guy, um, young and uncle loved his family, had a ton of friends. He ended up dead for some weed and for having a mental health issue, which I have mental health issues and I have weed, but I'm not yeah. dead. He ended up dead because he is black, a black man. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're not, they're so, not going to bust your down door down and put a spit. I can't honestly, no, how are these yeah. things, these should, these absolutely should not be used. And it's, it's shocking to me that they are. Yeah, exactly. So there was an incident. The, these have been very peaceful protesters, just very peaceful, like mothers, families, the family of Marvin Scott, just peacefully walking around. Yes, sometimes they march in the street. That's what protesters do. Like protesters don't just like cause, cause no, like no. they don't just like stand to the side. So nobody notices them. They're protesting. Yeah, exactly. Protesting. Of course they're going to march down the street. That's the entire point. <laughs> it, it's bizarre to me that people think that they shouldn't march in the street. Where else are they going to march? The point is, is you have a mass of people and you're causing traffic to stop and you're causing attention to be drawn to whatever the cause is. That's the entire point. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, this, so this is crazy. These have been probably the most peaceful protesters I've ever seen ever. Just, yeah. And so this insane racist man jumps out at them one day as they're, oh, they're yeah, literally right. this time they were literally just crossing the street these protesters yeah. just crossing the street as people do so this racist man jumps out of his his vehicle starts yelling at them he comes up to this young black woman and assaults her and then he assaults the attorney of of marvin scott's family and um but there's a cop right there the cop doesn't care. Nothing happens to the guy. And so since then, it's become kind of a, a local media sensation there. And so, like, racist assholes have been complaining, like, oh, these people are causing issues with the streets, blah, blah, blah. And they're siding with... They're, uh, my they're favorite racist. is they're rioting. Like, why yeah. do they keep calling protesters rioters? I'm like, no, that's not a riot. It's completely absurd. I'll so let you know when it turns into a riot. <laughs> It might. <laughs> so People just protesting is not a riot, but that is. The, but they. But they intentionally frame it. There's no. There's way, not even language. any. Like, this doesn't even. This doesn't happen at night. Like these are literally like the the nicest protesters. I these these are what the other folks will call the peace police protesters, right? I mean, they're so peaceful that you're like, are you actually having a protest here, right? <laughs> I, I, I I get what you're saying. It's kind of weird that they would center on that. Yeah. So, um, by the way, Colin is going to Collin County, which I keep pointing yeah. out. To him. <laughs> um, so this was the, the statement today that Collin County released across the nation. Oh, they messed up the order. By they, I mean Imger. Imger. Shoot. One. Hold on. One. So let me count this in real time. One, two, three, four, five, six. I, you guys don't even know how many times I tried to upload this in order today. Across the nation this past year, Americans watched as city after city fell victim to riots, crime, and lawlessness. 
The bad actors who preyed upon these communities often did so under the guise of peaceful protests, but they betrayed their own words by their criminal actions. What is this guy talking about? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it's, a, it's the Collin County judge. Unfortunately, oh it appears that some in Collin County are willing to break the law in order to garner media and public attention. Demonstrated by the recent orchestrated effort to block a busy Plano intersection while protesting- oh, happened in Plano, okay. <laughs> while protesting in the middle of our public streets. Oh my God, drama. The horror. You know what this is reminding me of? You know is what's that? worse is murdering black people. Yeah, exactly. So do you remember um, there was a right-wing uh, video streamer guy who posted an edited clip on Twitter that went viral of this white guy getting beaten up at that protest? Well, it turns out before that happened, the guy had attacked a bunch of people with a machete, like a giant, giant machete. And somebody mm -hmm. else um, had this video and was like, yeah, no, this guy was attacking people with a machete and that's why he got beat up. But for some reason, that edited clips just went viral and Trump ended up using it in one of his campaign videos. And it just infuriates me because it's like that isn't what happened. Somebody had a machete. He, he uh, lunged at people with the machete. I saw the video. He was absolutely willing to like slice and dice some folks. So it was the right thing to tackle him and, and do that. You know? Yeah, they're going to turn the, the rhetoric around and say that white dude got beat up by black guys like it's so ridiculous yeah um yeah and and that's that's the thing they don't care about um uh i'm trying to find this video so they can show veracity them. they don't care they, about they veracity. Don't care, well they, yeah they don't care about veracity they don't care about the, that uh, the racism they don't care about anything except for um, their right-wing bullshit yeah, exactly. But, you know, it really angers me because this particular individual sees himself as a, he's like Andy. No, he thinks he's a journalist. It's like, oh, no, if you're God. a journalist, okay. you must have a commitment to veracity. I'm sorry. You might be doing media, but no, no. Come on now. You knowingly edited that video because then it turned out a couple weeks later that he had filmed the whole thing because he released it because of the pushback. And it, so now you're like, wow, dude, you're admitting that you have literally no commitment to veracity. Shame on you. Right. Um, the individuals who engaged in this behavior knowingly and vol what is this word volitionally? I've never heard of that. Volitionally? I've never heard of that word in my life. Is that a word? Yeah, Vol it is. <laughs> it is <laughs> to alley do volition. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> knowingly and volitionally disregarded. Volition. This guy like had a dictionary or a thesaurus by his desk. And he definitely disregarded the law and endangered others to further their own objectives, like not getting black people murdered, like a schoolyard bully who tormented. Right, oh, wait, okay, what, is he serious now? Is he he's calling the protesters a schoolyard bully? Who is yeah. this guy? Yeah, he's the freaking wow county judge. Yeah, commissioner's court. Oh, that's okay. That's just infuriating. <laughs> Mm, this is yeah this is nuts this is absolutely insane like a schoolyard bully who torments others for his own amusement or profit profit what 
This is this is the craziest statement I've ever heard in my so life. This is beyond. This is beyond like unbelievable. These agitators intentionally provoked conflict so that more people will pay them attention. Yes, you complete dumbass. That's yeah, the, what they're trying to is. yes to bring attention to the cause. Yes, he was murdered, and these guys are trying to bring attention to that fact to maybe have changes made to the law where that won't happen again. Who's the schoolyard bully? This guy mm. is. Did you find the video? We should pull the video yeah. and play that so people can see what this guy is defending because it's really. Yeah, I'll play it. I'm on the, I'll read this and then I'll um, play it. This is insane. I will always support insane. the right of the people. Hold on, today. I? I did not. Will he volitionally support the right of the people? Volitionally. Everyone's That's telling what me I need to word. I will. <laughs> I will use it now. I will always support the right of the people to peacefully, peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances but I offer no sympathy and no support for those who break the law, like murdering black people. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I have no words for how insane this is. Those who abuse others, like murdering black people. Those is who, he for real? Those who create conflict and destruction and those who terrorize our communities. Oh, God. I have spoken with Collin County Sheriff Jim Skinner regarding the recent issue in the city of Plano and no Collin County deputies were involved in the incident. I have full confidence that Sheriff Skinner and his office will always work to create a safe environment for anyone engaged in peaceful protests. But those who cross the line into illegal activity will be arrested and held accountable for their actions. I am proud to stand with all Collin County law enforcement officers who make daily sacrifices to protect our communities and families. So here is what this freak is talking about. This, <sighs> this by the way, is from um, Jesse Ringness, Be the Change on YouTube. And he filmed this um, on May 2nd. So it became quite viral and it's, it's shocking and horrible. So beware. And here comes the actual bully. So that's Jesse Ringness at uh, Be The Change. Mm -hmm. I recommend that you follow him because he's been doing a really good job of um, uh, filming and capturing the, the protests there. There's his, I put that in the chat. Uh, obviously that is, how, how, how could that uh, judge put that statement out based on that video? 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he watched, but it wasn't what we just watched. That and that guy, you know, assaulted a woman, assaulted yeah. a lawyer, yeah. and nothing happened to him. Imagine if that guy was a uh, a black man. The, oh, the, he, he would have been heard. cuffed on the street. Yeah, 100%. he may have been, he may be dead currently. That's right. This is something that is actually happening really close to New York City, and yes. it's an awful situation that is just not getting enough attention. And this, I this, agree. this, uh, this city is, is this town is like, is really struggling and they're not getting the help that they need. And this is very common in majority black towns. And yeah, this is aptly labeled America's dirty divide. If this, and you'll find out the details, we'll go over the details, but if this were a white town, this would not be the situation. So we need help. Sewage crisis hits majority black town in New York. It's no coincidence we're a black community. If this was a white community, this wouldn't be happening. The sewer lines in Linda McNeil's neighborhood got so clogged during the pandemic that she had to use a 16 gallon wet vac to suck up her own toilet oh water. As COVID cases surged in the fall and winter, McNeil, 68, wheeled the wet vac outside every day and emptied the contents down an opening in the manhole cover at the top of her driveway. That's the insane. Yeah. The smell in her home burned her eyes and made her cough. She couldn't sleep through the night. I'd have nightmares that they were going to condemn my house, she said. Sewage problems are nothing new in Mount Vernon, New York. A majority black city of 68,000 that's only a half hour train ride from Grand Central Station in Manhattan. Officials in Mount Vernon told the Guardian that sewage and wastewater infrastructure is collapsing all over town. The city is an extreme example of ailing wastewater networks across the country, crumbling faster than cities can afford to maintain them, and communities of color may bear an outsized share of the burden. In the worst hit homes like McNeil's, sludge floods out of toilets with little warning. Sewer water, water bubbles up from clogged manholes on some streets. Oh my God. Storm drains spill raw waste into the Hutchinson and Bronx rivers, which frame the city's east and west. Officials estimate that 1,000 households could be at risk of floods or unable to flush their toilets, though the exact number is not yet known and might be larger. Mount Vernon's population is 65% black, making it an outlier in the highly segregated majority white Westchester County. And Westchester County, if you're not aware, is a ritzy ass county, like the majority of it. Um, like there's a lot of super wealthy, wealthy, richy, richy, rich people there. Uh, this clearly not, not part of that. Frustrated residents said that whiter towns near Mount Vernon have sewage infrastructure that works just fine. It's no coincidence we're a black community. If this w was a white community, this wouldn't be happening. For years, experts have sounded the alarm about the country's failing infrastructure. 
Wastewater networks across America received a D-plus grade, and New York State alone faces a $34.1 billion funding gap for wastewater, according to the most recent annual assessment by the American Society of Civil Engineers. This country, wow. Jesus. I know this country, the rich, the uh, the richest in the world. This is what we have going on in our poor communities. It's it's absolutely outrageous, mm. and it is it is absolutely systemic racism. It absolutely is. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Ever since Mount Vernon's is, incorporation in a city in 1892, it has welcomed diverse people looking for a fresh start, whether they were black folks fleeing the Jim Crow South or Southern Europeans seeking opportunity in a new country, said Lurie Spurl, the former city historian. In the mid 20th century, neighboring cities pushed out black residents by pursuing policies like urban renewal. The rest of Westchester in the 1960s dumped their black communities into Mount Vernon. Hmm, yes. The city received a large population by the 1980s from Port Chester, White Plains, New Rochelle. New Rochelle is the one. Like, New Rochelle is very ritzy. The city's 4.4 square miles are densely settled, while much of its sewer network is almost a century old and built. To, so basically, it's like all the white rich people got all the infrastructure and all right. the poor black people are pushed here and they didn't update anything is like really what they're saying. Pretty much. Justification. <sighs> yeah. So it, it goes on and on. Um, this is going That's to be disgusting. a $100 million job. That is about 95% wow. of our annual budget. Mount Vernon has the highest tax rate in Westchester County. Yet residents are, you, are <laughs> wait, are you wait, this gets worse. Yeah. I didn't know that. That makes this even more egregious. Yeah. So they basically like, are the highest tax rate, which means they're taking in money, but it's all just going to the wealthy areas and they've ignored this section of the county. Yeah. Well, it's just like in Flint has the highest water bills. And right. like that's that's what they this do. This is this is outrageous. This is that's just wow. Yeah. That um, is inexcusable. Residents are baffled at where their money has been going all this time. Wayne Fletcher, 48, yeah, what? <laughs> lives to off rich people apparently. Apparently, lives just off the troubled Third Street corridor and pays eighteen thousand four hundred dollars in yearly property taxes for his two-family home. That is insane. Wait, wait, wait! That wait, is what? insane. That's that's a that's a freaking lot. That's, oh my god! Wow, yeah. What? Yeah. So, what is the percentage of the um, tax base there on property taxes? Holy crap! I mean, here it's like one percent. Uh, ours I mean, is obviously ours is six percent where I live. Well, right. So that's the thing. California has one of the lowest percentage rates because of Prop Thirteen, right? So. I mean, I might pay 6000 a year in taxes, but it's also based on a much higher property value. So for him to be paying that, that's outrageous. Like, it's the what I'm saying is the percent that matters, right? Yeah. Because everything is, um, you can make it more. Uh, so I guess this doesn't do percents. I guess we would have to, like, break it down. 
I'll look into that. I'm, I'm general. Oh my God. General taxable assessment value. So where's, um, this is very interesting to me. Yes. I will look it up later. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's just nuts. Mm. I'm paying for a lifestyle. I'm not living said Fletcher. In all right. my years in Jamaica, I never saw something like this. Never. Jesus. Yeah, and if you would ask, like, the average American if, like, the quality of life in Jamaica is better or here, they would say, oh, yeah, here, United States rules. No. No, I think most people that say that, that have probably not traveled outside of the country, honestly. Because well, that's, 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 that's the America's best. Yeah, that's the people who say America's the best of everything. That. But we absolutely don't have a quiet, higher quality life than every other place. In the no, world. it's just non that's absolute nonsense. We definitely don't. We're, we're, we suck. We're terrible. <laughs> so uh, it's also causing environmental damage. So the runoff might be partly responsible for creating algae blooms that result in periodic die offs of fish downstream from Mount Vernon. Um, uh, fecal bacteria. <laughs> so she's. So the, you know, the drinking water. Yeah, this is very dangerous on top of everything else. It's incredibly dangerous. This is a good way to spread more disease. And to have this happening during the, during a pandemic is, makes it even more egregious, I think. Yeah. The, the Environmental Protection Agency is citing active litigation of, against the city. So they're really, you know, they're in litigation against the city, and but the city doesn't have enough money to fix it. And so then the city has to charge the residents more, which makes the residents more poor. So it's a never ending cycle right. of a disaster. Um, and so, you know, the rich are fine. And this, the rich are always fine. Have you noticed this? <laughs> yeah, they seem, they seem to be okay. They seem, they seem all right. They seem to be getting richer actually. It's re it's really horrible. So I just wanted that, to that highlight horrible. that story. Um, I'm glad that the Guardian did feature it. So, ay ay ay. I just and and to think like that is that is uh, just a, a short hop hop and a skip away from New York City, and right. um, and no one's really paying attention to it. Uh, so oh, right. the, the CDC's new mask guidance basically they said that vaccinated people don't have to wear masks indoors in most cases. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's So this article is basically spelling out that that's confusing for people. <laughs> um, and so businesses are trying to figure out what to do. Trader Joe's has decided that people do not have to wear masks any longer in their establishment. Um, uh, different... Different experts have different opinions about this. Well, I've seen some criticism of that. You know, it seems to me that they're just wanted, they want to push the economy to go back to a full open. Yeah. Uh, my concern, though, is that, you know, we're, we, we talked about this at the, at the start of the show. I don't, you know, we're nowhere near reaching any sort of herd immunity. We haven't vaccinated enough folks. Right. And no vaccine is completely um, efficacious. Right. So, uh, you know, I think the Pfizer and the Moderna are each about 90% a week after the second shot. J&J &J is less. Uh, 
so if we don't get everybody vaccinated, there's, you know, you still have this out, these, these outlier percentages, uh, the probability is that you're protected. Yes. But there's still this other percentage out there. So I, you know, for me, I think it would make sense to still have some sort of mask. Yeah. I don't, whether the CDC says to, says to or not, I'm probably going to do that, choose to do that for the most part. And yeah. I would also add to that that there's this like bizarre little cottage industry of um, folks getting phony vaccination cards. I don't know how widespread that is. I haven't, I don't know. I haven't read yeah, I was just going to say, at least this is something that's happened here in Los Angeles. I don't know how widespread it is. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a city basin of 10 million people the size of Sweden. So, I mean, it's, it, it would make a difference. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just so, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm weirded out. It seems so sudden, you know, they didn't ease back into this um, at all. It was just like, okay, we're done. Um, so anyway, two of the nation's medical societies, the American Society of Transplantation and the American Academy of Pediatrics issued statements stressing the importance of masks and more than a dozen physicians interviewed Friday expressed concern that the decision was premature, coming only days after regulators cleared a vaccine for 12 to 15 year olds and while so many are still unprotected. The guidance shifts all the burden onto individuals to be on their honor and choose the appropriate actions when deciding whether to wear a mask, said Lisa Maragakis an infectious disease ep epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Um, there is no way to know who is vaccinated and who is not in most scenarios. The likely result is that almost no one will wear a mask, which I think is true. And I think, you know, I think highlighting here the American Society of Transplantation, that is part of the reason to wear a mask is not for yourself. It's right. for vulnerable populations. That's right. So, which is the point of herd immunity too. So, even if I mean, there's a percentage of, of the population that won't be able to get vaccinated. That's always the case of every vaccine, which is why it's important that those that are healthy and can do so. Right. You know, and I so I got the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I'm somebody that's been uh, prone to anaphylactic shock. I've had it happen to me twice where I was hospitalized, both times for medication. So it's not for not for food. Yeah. So I was, mm. I'm in that group where they want to keep an eye on you, but I still went and got vaccinated. Um, yes, I waited after the vaccine was given to me. I had to sit there and wait in, at the hospital location for 30 minutes to make sure that was not going to happen. It didn't happen. I didn't think it was going to, but it could, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, is a sort of a French thing and it's happened to me twice. So I guess there's a chance, but point being is, is, the, you know, the things, decisions that we make have to be based on uh, more likely, less likely outco outcomes, because there are no guarantees, right? None of these are all probability arguments that we're having here. So, um, you know, and I understand, you know, here's the thing, I understand what's driving the worries and concerns, the skepticism, you know, we talked a little bit about bot science, we talked about, uh, you know, folks from Big Pharma and the revolving door at the C CDC, all of these things are valid concerns. I'm not saying that they aren't, uh, but thankfully we also have peer review and I don't think most scientists um, are a part of that mechanism. I think most scientists actually do care about the quality of their work and I think they do care about uh, veracity and they do care about finding and discovering um, the truth. Yeah. So um, although I, I'd say although the, the skepticism can't be warranted, I do think vaccines are safe. 
Um, and I don't know what we have to do to combat some of these narratives that kind of stemmed out of uh, Jenny McCarthy's, you know, group right. when they were, you know, I just, I don't think we've ever, she's done a lot of damage. I don't think we've ever gotten past that. So, I mean, like, you know, even though there's, uh, you know, concerns and there's um, a, a, a seedling of truth to some of these things, coupled with what Jenny McCarthy did, it's grown into this entire giant thing that's, um, doesn't I don't know we need to do something about it I don't know what yeah yeah I I don't know I think that ju this just it's just a rushed rushed decision um the CDC one yeah 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 it, yeah I agree I think this is a strange decision I went on a tangent sorry no it's fine um because you know that's some of the one of the other arguments because i've actually tried to speak with some of these anti-vaxxers at these protests and one of the arguments they made was that the vaccine was developed so quickly and so yeah, but my response, was, well, but but, i mean you, the you science normally, behind it wasn't like that's been around like they've been developing that that's for right. a long yeah. time uh, yes mrna uh, things have been used in other gene therapies not vaccines previously so that's not new tech uh, but my thing was this is like you you normally have what a group of 10 20 scientists on a team working on something this was an effort where you had thousands of scientists worldwide working on the same problem which is yeah a rarity. a lot that of never again like you had a lot, it, of, a lot of great minds like the best people the best money everything so that's why that happened as quickly as it did. I don't think that normally would not be the case, right? Uh, and so if you think about it, like if the world runs on money, like the world, the, the powers that be- Unfortunately it does, yes. The powers that be don't want everyone like dead and not spending money. They want everyone, they want people <laughs> are alive. You, Jen, Jen, are you sure about that? Cause I'm not convinced. <laughs> they want people alive and spending money and like the economy running. So they have a vested interest in in making this vaccine happen. So even conspiracy theorists should agree, like they 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 wanted the vaccine to happen. The, the powers that be that you're fighting against, like they want the vaccine to work for you. Trust. Well, my favorite headline this week, if you didn't see it, was I think God was it the Wall Street Journal now, um, or was it no? Maybe have been Vice. I can't remember, but. But it was that the anti-maskers might start wearing masks now out of fear of the vaccinated people. Did, <laughs> I put this on my Twitter. No, I, I like, saw some ridiculous stuff that someone said. Oh, like, this is a real headline, by the way. This is not me making something up. It's not the onion. No, I know. Like there, there are people who think that um, that women who have been vaccinated, like their periods, are crazy now. But that Wait, even, what? yeah, yeah. So what? Yeah. So people like these. So a lot of these um, QAnon people are from the wellness community and like the, the yeah, whatever. So there are these people who find themselves really serious and they're like, yes, we've been getting a lot of reports that women women's periods have been going wild after getting the vaccination. And not only that, but people who have visited with women who have been vaccinated have had their periods go <laughs> wild too. And so what does it actually mean to have your period go wild? I need to know. Okay. It was vice world news. I found it. Let me just read this to you. Um, wait, vice world news. This is the actual headline. I'm reading it. Anti-maskers ready to start masking to protect themselves from the vaccinated. 
The anti-vaccine conspiracy about the vaccinated are leading some anti-maskers and some anti-vaxxers to contemplate wearing a mask and social distance. I'm like, hey, man, whatever it takes. Um, okay, so, yeah, so they're pointing out, like, okay, we're, like, just hold on a little bit longer. Like, we're finally going to be vaccinating um, 12 to 15-year-olds. We're going to get to children. Um, just like wait a little bit, <laughs> which I think is fine. I agree. We're yeah. fine. Just like, let's wait. 